Hello and welcome to The Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. I hope everyone's having a great day, great evening. It's another full moon out there. It's always interesting having those full moons from my experience. Uh, On tonight's show, I thought I would just give you a little bit of a uh, bonus episode, um, studying uh, and... uh, doing some research for my Charles Fort uh, episode, but that's taken a little bit of time, so I thought in the meanwhile I would uh, break things up, give you a little bit of a bonus episode. So on tonight's episode, I would like to cover over uh, some questions that I've had from listeners, Uh, some general comments, uh, give you some of the uh, influences that I've had, some of the things I've really enjoyed, some I've mentioned before, but um, I just wanted to cover them over again. And then um, I'm going to give you uh, a brief thumbnail of some of my favorite instances, uh, cases, paranormal and otherwise, just to um, give you an idea of what might be you know, in, in the future, some of the programs I'd like to cover over, some of the cases and topics I'd like to cover over. So um, before I go any further, uh, first I'd like to wish everyone out there a uh, happy Mother's Day. Any, any mothers out there, uh, I appreciate and uh, respect the fact that uh, you've given birth to, uh, to uh, all of us. Uh, thank you for that. And um, also I would like to thank uh, all of the health workers who are dealing with the issues that they're going through right now uh, with the COVID-19. I know it's not easy for anyone being locked down and all the things that we've had to deal with, but, um, you know, being out there on that front line, especially the healthcare workers, not that there's not others, uh, you know, that haven't been out there doing their part, but especially the healthcare workers, it's it's really important for me to acknowledge what you've done. So my uh, tip my cap to you. Um, I've got a friend of the show who lives in Texas, especially, and I'd just like to say, hey, thanks for hanging in there and doing what you do for all of us. So firstly, I thought I'd just cover over some of the influences that I've had, uh, some of the, you know, sometimes I do get asked, oh, well, how do you get into this? Where do you learn these things? Um, You know, where have you seen some of these cases that you're going to bring up? So uh, as I was saying, when I was growing up, the major influences for me were really uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not was one. So I remember reading the books when I was a boy, some of the strange and unexplained, especially that uh, were covered over in Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then you had uh, Unsolved Mysteries was a television program in the 80s. Uh, Sightings was another one. Um, And then there were also older programs, there was one with Leonard Nimoy. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, there was also one with Arthur C. Clarke. I'll put these in. Um, I'll, I'll put some commentary around this on um, on the Facebook page or on uh, on the Instagram page, just to give you a bit of feedback on what these programs are. I'm sorry. I think one was the unexplained off the top of my head, but I just can't remember. So um, I'll cover those over. Um, yeah, and uh, on that point, uh, I did want to say I've started a Facebook page for the Paranormal Sun, so look out for it if you want to go on there. Um, you know, I just try and have some interaction with people. I'll post some photos. I'll try and keep you posted when new shows come out on there or topics I want to cover. Uh, I think it's really good to be able to interact with people. Uh, I've also created an Instagram account for the, you know, the same same idea behind it, but uh, generally it'll be a mirror image of each other, similar posts, similar topics. So, um, yeah, 
just having covered over those, you know, kind of historical things that uh, I really got interested in. Uh, at that time, I really, you know, didn't hear any of this stuff uh, on public radio back then. And I really think that the the first program that covered this over that a lot of people have heard of was Coast to Coast uh, AM radio. So it used to come on at night, used to be on from about 9 to 10 p.m. Pacific time, and then it would go until about 2 or 3 a.m. And uh, the original host was Art Bell. He started a political program, and then later it morphed into paranormal, especially starting with UFOs. And uh, he would cover some other topics, but mainly it was around paranormal UFOs. Um, he interviewed a uh, Catholic priest named Malachi Martin a few times about uh, about demonology and possession. Those were some really interesting shows, and a lot of those you can still find on YouTube. Unfortunately, Art Bell passed away a few years ago. I think it was last year. It might have been the year before. So he's no longer with us. The host who replaced Art Bell, uh, there was a bit of contention, but his name is George Norrie. He still runs the program. He has a few other hosts. Um, George has always been really polite. Uh, he's probably the only host of a larger format program that I've got in contact with who actually took the time to get back to me. Uh, so, you know, he he does get a bit of a bad reputation. Some people will call him George Snorri because he, you know, he can be a bit uh, boring in his commentary. But um, look, uh, I still think he does a service. He's still out there. He's still uh, presenting this, you know, this whole uh, field for people to, uh, you know, get involved in. Uh, my mission here on the Paranormal Sun is not to be the expert not to tell you I know what everything is or this is how it is. As I say, I, I don't really like that attitude myself as I brought up before with the bunkers. But uh, all I really want to do is bring some of these cases and some of these stories to people's attention. Uh, there are times that I will give you my commentary, what my thoughts are or what I believe. But in general, I try to leave that up to you. I want you as the listener to be able to decide what you think, what you find interesting. Uh, but again, I'm always here for feedback and commentary if, if, if you would like to ask any questions or you want to know what my thoughts are on certain instances. So uh, going past that, uh, there is another program now on the radio in the U.S., but um, I've never heard it on the radio. I've only been able to listen online, and that's Fade to Black with Jimmy Church. Uh, Jimmy Church is a fairly well-known uh, presenter. He's been on a lot of paranormal and UFO shows. So if you see a picture of him or you hear his voice, you may very well know him. Uh, I feel Jimmy does pretty good uh, with his show. I, I mean, you know, he's obviously very successful in comparison to someone like me who's just starting out. But um, yeah, you know, Jimmy seems to be pretty grounded. He's got a good attitude and, you know, he doesn't have the swollen head syndrome. He doesn't seem like, uh, you know, he he uh, he thinks he's too big for everyone else. So, yeah, he's, he, he seems to be really good. So if you're in the U.S. and you want to listen to, uh, you know, these kind of topics, that's a great one. Another one I've only listened to online is Darkness Radio. I believe Dave Schrader's the host. That's, you know, I've quite enjoyed that program. I found that's quite well, uh, well suited to this kind of Information, Paranormal, Fortiana, etc. Um, yeah, you know, uh, so Darkness Radio, that's an excellent one. And then some that are, you know, podcasts, but you can also find them out there on YouTube and the like. Uh, the first one's Expanded Perspectives. 
Uh, I really got into that program in 2016. Uh, it's two hosts from Texas, Cam and... Jeez, uh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Uh, Cam and Kyle, that's it. Uh, great program. Uh, they, they take everything with a pinch of salt. They have a good laugh. They laugh about themselves. So, you know, they, they don't take themselves too seriously. But what they do seriously is they, they do an excellent job of researching and presenting, you know, good information. They don't uh, kind of wing it. They, they really get into the subject, and they've got quite a, quite a backlog of programs now, so that's a good show. Uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, another one is Blurry Photos. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I actually reached out to, uh, to Dave, Dave Stecco, I believe it is, who's the host of Blurry Photos, and um, just sent him a message uh, last night to say, hey, you know, thanks for all you've done with your show. And it's been a big inspiration. One of the reasons I've started this. And Dave was kind enough to come back and um, and say, you know, thanks for that. Thanks for listening. And um, he appreciates it. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out Blurry Photos if you'd like to follow, uh, you know, something else that goes in, in depth. Uh, then there's another one uh, called Beyond Creepy. Uh, that's quite good. That one is YouTube only. Sorry for that. So that's not a podcast. That's actually on YouTube. It's, uh, it's got BC or the, uh, the tag initials you'll see up at the top of the videos, but that's quite good. It covers over a lot of topics that I'd never actually heard of until I started listening to that. He really does some cutting edge, uh, stuff. I don't know who the host is on there. He calls himself Mr. Black, but I don't know what his actual name is. So that's that's quite a good program. He covers some things like Glimmerman and some of the uh, kind of uh, cryptids that are only just now being you know brought out by people. Uh, also on YouTube, you've got Bedtime Stories, which is really good. Uh, so that's one that covers over a lot of mysteries, not only paranormal, but uh, missing, missing people and the like. And they have corresponding... Uh, uh, drawings that go along with it. It's it's actually really good, good artwork, and that's a good show. Uh, and then you've got 401 Files, which is uh, really good. Uh, I've been watching a few of those videos as of late. Um, I've had a bit of interaction with Ben over there from 401 Files. Uh, he's a really nice, uh, nice young man in the UK who's uh, you know doing his best to get this kind of stuff out there. I've given him a few shout outs on the page. So Ben, if you hear this, uh, you know, thanks for the encouragement. It's been great. And, um, you know, I, I hope that you continue to uh, grow and that uh, your program becomes uh, big. Also on YouTube, as I was saying, there's uh, Forum Borealis. So I've mentioned this one before. I really like Forum Borealis. That one has much more to do with kind of ancient mysteries. They do a little bit around UFOs, but it's much more kind of um, conspiratorial or alternate timelines. Uh, things like um, what happened to the Nazis after the war. Uh, you know, things along this. Did, did Adolf Hitler escape to Argentina? So on and so forth. But that's a really good program and it's really well done. I quite enjoy that. Um, that's uh, Al is the host on that show. And then, uh, as I say, you can find on YouTube as well, Fade to Black with Jimmy Church. There's quite a few programs up there. But um, if, you can, if you can go and actually subscribe to the show and listen to it uh, from the website, I think it's a, a dollar a month, something like that. And um, it's, it's excellent. I actually quite like listening to the full shows instead of the YouTube clips. So um, that, that gives you a little bit of an idea of the background of, uh, you know, kind of where I gather a lot of the information that I have and, and uh, some of the stuff that I've learned, especially over the last few years. Um, 
as for, you know, kind of mass media, you know, mainstream media, I watch a lot of programs on uh, the History Channel here, um, Discovery Channel, and National Geographic. So those seem to be the three that cover, you know, they, they kind of have the paranormal and UFO shows on there. Um, I found out that a lot of these programs air on different channels in the U.S. Uh, for example, I was watching a couple of programs earlier tonight, uh, National Parks, Mysteries, and Legends, and I think that's done by the Travel Channel in the U.S., but one was uh, Big Bend National Park in Texas, so that was that was quite interesting because there were some things there that I hadn't, I hadn't um, heard of before, and the other one was about uh, Death Valley, so that was, that was actually pretty good. Uh, a couple of programs. I've also seen some that they've done about um, Glacier National Park in Montana, which is very near and dear to me because that's close to where I grew up. Yeah, so um, that's that's a good program to catch if you see it. Um, I've seen a few ancient aliens that are good, but uh, a lot of it, uh, no offense to anyone out there who doesn't know, but because I've been immersed in this for so long in my life, m- many of the cases that they cover over on there, I've already heard of, you know, over and over, I, I I may have heard two or three, four podcasts, a couple of documentaries on a lot of it. So it just gets to be a bit repetitive for me at times. Uh, I think that Ancient Aliens has done a really good service to the community that a lot of people have um, have gotten interested by starting out with that. So, you know, I've got nothing against it. It's just uh, the program can be a bit generic for someone like myself who's been immersed in this their whole life. Um, and, you know most of its second hat to me. As far as uh, kind of authors and background books, like I was saying before, um, I read a lot of books when I was younger that I, I, I can't name off the top of my head. But, you know, I do know that some of the authors would have been like um, uh, Keough, Donald Keough. He did some UFO books back at that time. Uh, there were many others that would have been kind of compendium type books. I do remember reading a few books from Jacques Vallée, who's one of the most famous, um, you know, UFO investigators. He's done some great stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there from Stanton Friedman, who unfortunately has just passed away, uh, I think early this year or late last year. And, uh, you know, he was excellent. Stanton Friedman um, was a uh, atomic uh, nuclear physicist. So, you know, this wasn't your run-of-the-mill um, gumshoe type that, you know, a lot of the skeptics will say that uh, people in this field are. You know, he, he really knew his stuff. He was well-spoken. And um, he was in the field for over 50 years. So it's a great loss that he's passed on. But, uh, you know, a lot of people like me... Um, I guess that there will be people out there much more into it than me that will get out there and do the field reporting and that. So, you know, um, as as is often the case, a, a tree, you know, has its acorns and it grows a lot of saplings and it'll be the same sort of thing like this with um, Stanton Friedman passing on. Um, so covering over all of that, giving you a bit of a background of some of the programs I've really been into, some of the things that have uh, influenced my thoughts on the paranormal, my view on the paranormal, the things that I find interesting. Um, there, there are many others. I, I can't give you all of the programs. I'm sorry. But again, when you've been into this for 35 or 40 years, it, it's quite difficult to give you a, a, a bibliography of everything that I've, I've read or, or ingested. Um, I, because I just can't. I know I read it somewhere. I just can't tell you exactly where. 
But uh, again, with the uh, prevalence of the internet today, that's the beauty. Oftentimes, even with me, I can go, I remember this case. I know it was in the 70s. It had this involved, da-da-da. And I can end up finding it online. So the internet is is, is a brilliant um, resource material. Um, there are newer cases that I find fascinating, but I, I do find myself generated, uh, you know, uh, gravitating towards those older cases that I know from when I grew up. And also, although I'm not saying you couldn't fake things back then, it was much harder, especially with things like film and that at the time to fake uh, shots as it is opposed to today where everybody, you know, can with a with a computer and with some editing software, you can make some pretty convincing uh, videos. And so I always reserve judgment on those things. And like I say, um, no matter what it is, I always keep an open mind. Uh, until it's proven otherwise, I'll always keep an open mind. And it, it, it may not go in the confirmed basket, but it will definitely go in the plausible basket until I can have it uh, confirmed or disproven one way or the other. So now I just wanted to cover over a few uh, kind of questions that I've had and, um, you know, feedback. So a few questions that I've been asked about this show. And, um, and also there are a few in here that I, I thought were good questions that um, no one specifically asked me, but I thought you might be interested in, in knowing the answers to them anyway. So, uh, you know, like I say, I've, I've covered over a, a pretty good background of what's gotten me into this, where I get a lot of my information. Um, so um, how does my research work? Is it free form? You know, do I look things up? To answer that question, um, yeah, you know, at times it can be difficult because just like anything, you'll be on the internet, you'll look at this, that, or the other, and and you start to go down rabbit holes and get pulled in different directions. But um, it is it is pretty free form. Oftentimes I might watch a program and after the program's over or even during the program, I might be on my phone looking you know, up this case, because a lot of times for the brevity of a television program, oftentimes they'll, they'll clip things out. So I might want to know, hey, what's happening here? Why didn't they show this? Sometimes it'll be things that as you're watching the program, you might say, oh, well, you know, this guy, it shows he's got guns. Why doesn't he grab his gun and, and go out? And get? So I'll, I'll do a bit of research sometimes on the fly. And uh, the beauty of, again, with TV now, I've I've got basically our version of a TiVo, so I can just pause it, look things up, and then come back to it. Um, sometimes I will take notes, but oftentimes I rely on my mind to remember what I want to look up after. And then there are times that, like I say, it might be six months, a year, five years later, I'll, I'll get on a whim and I'll say, I want to know more about that case, so I'm going to go and look it up. Or sometimes something will come out in the media and, you know, somebody will say this is similar to this case that happened two or three years ago. So as far as my research, that's kind of how it flows. Um, I'm not the type of person that likes to read, um, you know, websites verbatim and that. So I'll jump around. I'll, I'll take interesting tidbits. Uh, I, you'll, you'll get a, a good snapshot of my research style when I do the first Charles Fort episode. Um, coming up in the near future. Um, I'd like to say I'll have it out early next week. So um, the next question that I have is, um, does the podcast take up a lot of your time? Uh, The short answer is yes. Right now it is taking up a lot of my time, but um, it's time that I feel is well spent. Uh, The reason that it's taken so much time is doing things like setting up a logo for the show, um, setting up Instagram pages and Facebook pages and um, doing research. And 
as with any anything, you know, you, you want things to look good. I, I don't want to go out there and just look like a complete rank amateur. I already feel bad about things like audio quality and, um, you know, not being able to do things like have guests on for you right away. So, you know, I, I really want to turn out something that at least is presentable. So things like the logos for the show, you know, I, I had to teach myself how to do all that, uh, design them, lay them out. Um, all of this has basically been done by me, by myself. Um, not that people haven't been helpful in, you know, giving me input or especially the support. And again, I can't thank you enough for the support. But as far as the actual nuts and bolts, I've had to do it all myself. So, uh, you know, that takes time. And as time goes on, I would say uh, it won't be so onerous uh, I may not stay on social media all the time. You know, it might be one of those things where I check in every few days and then kind of get a, a scheduled routine for recording. Because right now, like I say, it's a it's a bit of research, you know, try and scrape together enough to do a show for one of the podcasts and then record the show and then pretty much start getting into the information for the other program. So as time goes on and as I have a chance uh, to streamline those things, I'm sure it'll it'll come along a lot better and I won't I won't have to spend the time that I do now. So the next question I have is what did you think when you started the podcast? Um so what did I think? Honestly, I couldn't believe I was doing this. I, I, I couldn't believe that I was gonna put myself out there, that I was going to start a podcast and and just put myself out there in the public venue. I'm I'm a fairly private person to tell you the truth. If you go around and you look online, you won't find a heavy footprint of me. It's just how I've always been. So for me to do this to tell you the truth, it's stepping outside of my comfort zone. It's um it's been good. It's been refreshing. It's been challenging for me to push myself to get out there. Um as I say, as with a lot of people, you know, I I always kind of wonder what do people think? Is anyone going to listen to this? Will anyone care? Um you know, am I just going to be another voice with the pulpit that no one actually cares what I have to say or the things I'm going to cover over. So that's been really good. And and look, again, I appreciate the support. Uh, I Early on, I thought I'd get a handful of listens, and I've already had about 30 on the one uh, on the um, on the fortunate sun. And, um, you know, when I get some more content out here on the paranormal sun, I know that those uh, listens will pick up. So look again from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me. Thanks for listening. Um, so the next question that I have is what is the best thing that you've learned so far from the process? And, um, the reality is the best thing that I've learned is all the work that goes into content creation. So whether it's someone recording and writing and, and a song, you know, a band, uh, writing a book, writing stories, recording videos, you know, I, I, I had some really good, uh, discussions today on and off with a few creators and the amount of time and money that goes into doing things like YouTube videos. Um, I, I tap, I, I really tip my hat to them. It's not easy. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, this has been easy, but in comparison, I'm recording audio. It's me by myself. I'm not trying to, um, you know, do video so I can only imagine what it's like. So, um, it's really given me that newfound respect for what people do. Uh, you know, when I listen to a podcast now and I listen to the crisp quality and the, uh, editing that they've done, Hey, I, I really respect the work that's gone into it. So that's really been brilliant for me. And then the last question I have here, which is a viewer question, and I really do appreciate it is, are there a lot of UFO sightings in New Zealand? 
So the answer to that is yes, uh, surprisingly yes. We have a lot more UFO sightings than people would think because if you don't live in New Zealand, we're such a small country, people don't necessarily know of kind of the sightings that we've had here. But um, for those of you who know a little bit about the history of UFOs, and again, I'll cover this over in future a little bit better, but um, there was a flap in the U.S. in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, 1890s, and it was called the Great Airship Flap. And this was people sighting airships that looked like uh, Zeppelins, balloons, and, um, you know, people saw these all over, especially uh, along the... Um, the U.S. Southwest, so Texas, Arizona, those areas, um, New Mexico. There was a story of one that, that crashed in the, de in the desert. Um, well, not in the desert, but in Texas. And it's um, that one is the Aurora sighting in 1897. That's probably the most famous. Well, here in New Zealand, um, actually in the early 1900s, there was a flap in Otago, the Otago uh, airship sightings. And I didn't actually know that until I was just doing a little bit of research for tonight's show. So you have that one. The most famous case in New Zealand is the Kaikoura lights, which were some lights that were seen off the coast of Canterbury, Christchurch, which is our second largest city in South Island. Um, some planes flew out there to see these lights on several occasions and uh, recorded the lights. So um, yeah, uh, some people in Australia that I know, they've heard of this case, but I don't know of anyone in the US who really knows it. It is out there, but um, it wouldn't even be kind of a second tier case. When you talk about the most famous, you've probably got cases like Roswell and Kecksburg. Those would be, in my mind, first tier. Then you've got second tier that quite a few people may have heard of it, but it's still not maybe that ubiquitous uh, UFO knowledge. So in that case would think be things like the 1952 uh, flyover of Washington, D.C., the Farmville case in New Mexico, things like that. And then third tier to me are well-known, well-documented, but much more of a regional type case. So not world famous, not super well-known. And the Kaikoura lights were one of those. There have been several cases in New Zealand in Northland, which is a region to the north of me. It's the northern part of the country. It's wide open. There's not a lot of people there. And so when you look into the sky, you've obviously got some really good views. And every once in a while, I'll see cases in the paper here. But you hardly get these things ever talked about on the television news. And... If you don't know what you're looking for, you'll miss it in the paper. So it seems to be a kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek thing in New Zealand. The media doesn't really cover it over, and there's no massive, uh, you know, podcast or no real uh, counterculture media that you've got. So what I mean by that is you don't have a radio show here like you would uh, Jimmy Church type that would cover it over. So most. New Zealanders don't even realize how often that it happens here. But uh, not only the UFOs, we've got some other things. We've got our own version of a wild man or Bigfoot-type creature here in the uh, Coromandels, which is actually not too far from me. I've, uh, I've heard of that in the past, and I'd love to do some documentation for a future show. And you've got some kind of strange cryptids. I mean, you've got the, uh, the Fiordland moose, which isn't a cryptid, but there have never been moose in New Zealand, um, you know, naturally. Uh, there were no creatures here larger than, than ground 
dwelling birds when the uh, when the first known settlers came here, you know, when the Mori first came here. So, uh, yeah, you know, having things like moose running around, it's 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 something that is quite interesting. So hopefully I can cover those over in a future episode of the program. So now I'd just like to go into uh, a few of my favorite, uh, either well-known or just fascinating cases of each of these phenomenon for you. Um, so I've broken it down into four categories. The first one will be kind of my, my best case or most interesting UFO cases. And I'll give you a very quick uh, thumbnail sketch on each of these and again you, you can find the information on youtube and in future i would love to do some programs on some of these so um these are in no particular order but with the ufo cases i've dated the information so hopefully it can help you if if you wanted to get out there and find out a bit more about it so the first one is the 1975 travis walton case this is uh in that tier one type uh information out there as far as ufo sightings go so they made a they made a movie out of this um based on the story called fire in the sky if you've seen this um however travis walton himself will tell you that fire in the sky does not really portray what he went through uh the crux of the story is that there were uh men out in the in the forest um you know cutting wood um i can't remember exactly what they were doing but um you know they were falling lumber for a company it wasn't people out cutting their own wood or anything and uh they saw a ufo for lack of a better term a saucer and um they saw it come out and travis walton left the the pickup truck that they were all in and they watched him get struck by a beam of light and um, all the guys, the rest of the crew, were scared out of their wits. They thought that Travis was definitely dead. The, uh, they saw him struck. Uh, the UFO took him, so to speak, took him up in a beam of light. And they left the, the site in their pickup, horrified. They went and immediately got a hold of the sheriffs. Travis Walton turned up three days later and, yeah... It's quite an interesting case. Travis Walton's been interviewed time and time again. There have been lie detector tests done on this, and it's all over the Internet. Uh, again, uh, maybe in a future show I'll be able to cover this over, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a, a, of a brief summary. The next one is the 2004 USS Nimitz case. So this is one that's been in the media a lot as of late. That's the one with the Tic Tac UFO and others that, that you've seen. Uh, to me, this is a real watershed case for ufology because of the fact that, uh, you know, the military is involved and the Pentagon has come out and said, this is a UFO. This is a true UFO. The footage is real. We don't know what it is. And that's happened just recently. I think last week or the week before the Pentagon has um, come out with that statement. So I'm um, kind of conveniently released during the COVID-19 crisis, uh, probably hoping a lot of people won't pay attention to it. But yeah, I do think that, you know, on a side note, I do think that we are slowly inching towards disclosure i don't know if it'll happen in my life time um and again it may be a very limited disclosure just to say we're not alone uh we don't know what they are we don't know where they're from but we're not alone even if it's that to me that is some kind of disclosure the next case is the 2006 o'hare airport sighting this is quite an interesting one to me as well that uh, it happened at a major airport in the U.S., uh, O'Hare in Chicago. It's a massive airport for those of you who haven't been there, uh, much along the lines of LAX or, uh, 
you know, uh, Kennedy Airport in New York. It's a huge airport, and a uh, UFO appeared over, uh, basically forced, uh, forced flights to ground and not fly during the time it was there. And then when it's been discussed afterwards, you know, they basically said it was a lenticular cloud. Um, and so it was just a cloud that was keeping these, these airplanes grounded for all this time, uh, which I do find a bit preposterous. Um, also, the fact that this cloud couldn't form at the air temperature that there was on that day in Chicago. Uh, but again, uh, you know, feel free to do your own research. Uh, I'll cover it over hopefully in another episode. The next one is the Stevensville, Texas sightings. So, uh, you know, these were sightings of lights in Stevensville, Texas that happened several times, several witnesses, several locations, all more or less seeing the same things. I know that there were uh, Air Force planes uh, scrambled to, uh, you know, intercept. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what the claimed, uh, you know, what the what, what, what it was claimed to be by the Air Force or others, but that's another very interesting case. The next one is the Washington, D.C. flap of 1952. Now, you often will hear skeptics saying, oh, well, if UFOs exist, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, they didn't land on the White House lawn, but they flew over uh, Washington, D.C. in 1952. There are a few fairly famous photos out there of these uh, lights flying over Washington, D.C. They showed up on radar. They were sighted by pilots who went to intercept it. And again, I can't remember exactly what the Air Force blamed it on, but I think it was birds. And um, the reality is that that 1952 case after that is pretty much when the Air Force and the U.S. government started cracking down on, you know, especially on the military coming out and saying, uh, you know, these were anomalous craft or these were UFOs. We don't know what they were. Uh, Pretty much from that point on, almost all cases, they always had an explanation. Uh, The next one is the 1961 abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Now, um, this is a pretty famous case. Again, um, that's why I've got it on here. Uh, this one to me, yes, I realize there have been some questions and doubts. And again, I, I'd like to cover this over in more depth in the future. But uh, this is this is right up there. This is a top tier case. As far as I'm concerned, there's a lot to it. Um, you know, there are a lot of skeptics out there who have tried to debunk this case. But to me, uh, it's it, it will always be interesting, even if parts of... Parts of the case might be um, things like um, false memories, etc. I, I really do believe that there is more to it than, uh, you know, uh, the planet Venus or, or what have you. The 97 Phoenix Lights, uh, that is one of the most famous cases. Again, that's that's tier one. Um, I was in California when this happened, and I remember it being covered on the news. And I remember the immediate debunking and, uh, you know, the governor of Arizona coming out and mocking this, basically mocking everyone who'd saw it and uh, and then backpedaling and saying several years later, no, I actually saw it. Uh, so that is a very interesting case. That's got some of the best footage as far as, you know, really well-known footage that you'll see all over. Uh, the next one is the McMinnville photos from McMinnville, Oregon in 1950. Now, these are... When you think of a quote-unquote flying saucer, 
a lot of people who are older, when you see these McMinnville photos, these are kind of the icon of what a UFO looks like, what a flying saucer looks like anyway. And these are one of the few photographs that have been rigorously viewed and uh, experts have looked at it, looked at the negatives, everything else, and they've never been able to prove that this is a hoax. And there have been some very famous UFO investigators that have said that, you know, if you want proof, this is the this is the closest thing to a smoking gun that we have. The 1952 Flatwoods Monster that happened, um, that's quite an interesting case. That one is uh, not only was a UFO sighted, but uh, an, an entity be it alien or otherwise, that's quite an interesting case, and I would love to cover that one over. There's been some really good research come out in the last few years uh, with some witness testimony because, again, unfortunately, a lot of these older cases, all the witnesses have either died or are, you know, on their way out because of the time. I mean, the Flatwoods Monster 1952, okay, that was more than 20 years before I was born, 25 years before I was born. So I, yeah, it, it, it is important that, to note that a lot of these cases, uh, it's, it's difficult to talk to witnesses now. Uh, most of them have passed on. The next one is the Kelly Hops, Hopkinsville case. So that happened in Kelly, Kentucky in the um, 19, in 1955. Uh, this one is a bit bizarre in that when I was a boy, I remember reading about it, and they basically described them as green goblins or gremlin-type creatures. But as time has gone on, uh, it's more been identified as more kind of your prototypical gray. But the fact that when um, the family that was in the house, they were terrified, they saw a light come down, these creatures approached the their building, they were firing on them and with, with firearms, and that they heard metallic pings, these creatures would fall, uh, run into the woods, and then come back. So to me, that's always been quite a fascinating case. Uh, the Lonnie Zamora case in 1964. This was a New Mexico police officer who uh, was chasing a speeding car on the highway, and he saw this UFO landing. So he broke off the pursuit, went and, and uh, went and had a look at this UFO that had landed, apparently saw a couple of entities outside of the craft, um, and then it seemed that they noticed he was watching them. They got back in the craft and took off. Uh, that's, you know, that's from an officer of the law. It basically ruined his career. He had people laughing at him about it, but um, everyone that I've ever heard interviewed that knew Lonnie Zamora say, said that he was a man of his word, and I've always found that as a really fascinating uh, subject. Uh, the 1965 Kecksburg case, so this is the infamous Kecksburg, Kecksburg acorn. Um, that one is quite interesting to me as well, simply because the military was involved. There were multiple instances of military threatening people to stay quiet, don't don't divulge that you've seen something crash, etc. That's quite a good one. Um, again, there's a bit of controversy with skeptics and um, debunkers that this was a crash satellite. It may have been, but it's still a fascinating case. The next one is the 1967 Shag Harbor case. This was in Nova Scotia in um, Canada. Now, this case was not only a UFO, but a USO. So it was sighted in the sky and underwater for more than more than a day. It's quite interesting. The next one is the 1974 Berwyn Mountain incident in Wales. This has been uh, described as the Welsh 
Roswell. Um, that's quite an interesting one. I won't go into it in too much depth here for sake of brevity, but um, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Uh, I would do myself a favor and look that up. Then you've got the 1960 or 1976, pardon me, Tehran incident. Uh, military jets in Tehran, Iran. So this was before Iran uh, became the Islamic State it is now. This is when the Shah was still the leader of Iran, so it was a U.S. Uh, ally. Uh, F-14s, I believe, could have been F-16, um, but anyway, they were scrambled and uh, intercepted a UFO. When they went to fire on it, uh, they found that their weapon systems were disabled. Uh, again, that's quite an interesting, quite an interesting case. Um, the next one is the Rendlesham Forest case. For those of you who may not have heard, this is this happened on a case in the UK. It was a joint base, so joint administration between the UK and the U.S. military. I'm not sure which was which, but one was U.S. and one was U.K., and the bases were Rendlesham and Bentwaters. Uh, this was a fascinating case to me because there were surreptitiously nuclear warheads stored at this base, and a UFO turned up and started shining down beams into the weapons storage yard. Um, yeah, I find it interesting that, you know, if this was a lighthouse, as some have claimed, or if this was uh, the moon or flares... I can't remember all of the explanations. One was that it was British police cars driving on back roads that these guys were seeing. Again, uh, what were they doing at a base with nuclear weapons? And if the case is that all of these military uh, personnel couldn't tell the difference between British patrol car lights or a lighthouse and uh, a threat to the base... I would argue that we've got a lot more to worry about as far as national security than than UFOs, if that's the case. Uh, and the last one is the Voronezh case, which happened in Russia in 1989. And that was an instance where not only a UFO landed, but occupants came out and um, several people saw it in a park. One of the witnesses uh, had a tube pointed at him and he vanished and everyone panicked because they thought he had basically been vaporized but he uh he later reappeared so that's uh, quite a good account now i'll quickly try and move through these others i do apologize for um, stretching this out a bit but uh it's such a fascinating topic it's hard for me once i get started not to uh to stop recording so the next one is just i want to give you a brief uh uh, lay down of some of my favorite cryptids, the ones that have interested me over the years. So the first one is kind of a broad category of Nessie Champ, which is the Lake Champlain monster, and Ogopogo, which I've covered over before. So, the, you know, these are all uh, uh, lake monsters that have been sighted by people over the years, over hundreds of years. And um, I just find it quite fascinating because, uh, as many of you know, uh, the moon and uh, our solar system are better explored than the the deep sea. So we know more about the solar system at large than we do our own oceans. The next one are the legends of the Kraken. So the Kraken has obviously become a bit ubiquitous in our time. Uh, you've seen it in everything from, uh, from the um, Pirates of the Caribbean movies to uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and uh, many other venues. But um, the Kraken's always been fascinating to me, especially if you look at the oldest cases, the ones that occurred in Europe. Uh, yeah, quite interesting. So Krakens, whether they're giant squids or octopuses or what, um, I do find it quite interesting. 
The next one would be the Sasquatch or, uh, you know, a million other names that has been given, Bigfoot, Skunk Apes, uh, so on and so forth. Again, where I'm from, this is obviously you know, quite near and dear to me. And I've always been fascinated that you can have a seven, eight, uh, nine foot creature wandering around in the woods. And, um, you know, that, that to this day, we, we don't have that definitive proof. So whether they're interdimensional or, um, you know, whatnot, I just find it interesting. Uh, the Yeti or the abominable snowman in Nepal, you know, again, I find this quite interesting. When I was a boy, I remember reading about, um, you know, some real famous expeditions, big money being spent to go and investigate this. Um, and yeah, I've always found it fascinating. The next one would be the Jersey Devil. If you haven't heard of the Jersey Devil, aside from the New Jersey Devils uh, ice hockey team, do yourself a favor and uh, go and learn something about this. Uh, it's a real fascinating story. It's got several hundred year uh, background. And um, uh, I remember as a boy reading about the 1909 case with the footprints in the snow. That's what really intrigued me about this creature. And um, again, hopefully I can cover it over further in, a, in another episode. Uh, Thunderbirds, which are Native American folklore, super large, um, you know, we're talking about 20, 30 foot wingspan birds. And there have been many sightings in modern times. Probably the most famous one was one that swooped up and uh, grabbed a child in the 1960s or 70s in Illinois and uh, took off with him. Then you've got Mothman, of course, in Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, which, you know, there have been movies made about it. There have been so many documentaries, it's not even funny. And then the last cryptid one that I just wanted to cover over quickly was um, the British Big Cats. So the Beast of Exmoor being one and the Beast of Bodden Moor, which I've heard of. Uh, these are really interesting and fascinating to me because, you know, the story goes that, oh, well, maybe somebody had these these uh, these big cats as pets and they release them. But again, you're talking about regions where they're not from, uh, very cold and difficult climbs. And maybe that is the explanation, but um, all I'm saying is it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, there are also stories of, of, of these creatures of big cats and dogs that are that are ghosts or phantoms, like uh, Black Shook being one. So the, these, again, I find them interesting. And one I forgot, uh, one more I just wanted to mention quickly, were the, the, the tales uh, pretty much uh, all over the world of giants. Um, one of the programs I was watching earlier tonight, you know, reminded me of uh, what I was discussing before, you know, giants uh, that the Native Americans lived lived in proximity to and eventually you know have claimed that they they had uh, ongoing fights with these creatures you know basically wars of attrition with uh seven to ten foot tall red red-haired giants and it's fascinating to me i find it interesting that any time somebody finds the bones of a giant they tend to very soon after go missing so um yeah again that'll definitely be something i'd like to cover over in future Look, I'm just going to stop here and split this segment out and um, I'll have a bit of a follow on maybe another 10 or 15 minutes quickly to cover over uh, some of my favorite ancient mysteries, kind of earth mysteries, and then some spirits, hauntings, demonic and paranormal, just to keep this manageable for you. So yeah, uh, again, bear with me, folks. A lot of this I'm learning on the fly. So um, this will be part one and then I'll do a part two and uh, include it in the notes there. So again, thanks for listening uh, and take care.